0: I think that there are certain industries that can only be reformed so far until they just hit a wall and you realize that they just have to like completely like disappear. So I think slavery is always a really exact, like, easy example. Like There's no way that you can reform slavery to make it better. It needs to like get abolished altogether. And I think that there's a lot of industries that we take for granted in the West that should be abolished. Uh, I think fast fashion is one of them. There's no way that you can reform an industry that is built on and requires violence and original function, you can reform that. Um, You can reform it to make it less violent, but it's still
1: violent. Um, So I don't think that fast fashion can ever get reformed into like something that's ethical. Hello and welcome. I'm Shiza, your host of Re-Envision Business and co-founder of Up Effects. If you're new to our work, over the last five years, we've loved amplifying and supporting business models that prioritize equity, conservation, and economic empowerment. We're now advancing this work through our re business podcast. This series will highlight the emerging need for responsible trade that uplifts communities frequently left behind. In each episode, we'll invite thought leaders to deconstruct our current systems, and with their help, we'll spotlight models that are re-envisioning business. Together, we'll unearth a blueprint for an economy redesign. In 2019, Up Effect and the Islamic Finance and Ethics Society came together at King's College London to host a conversation with Huda Qatabi and Georgina Wilson-Powell. Words can't describe how powerful this event was, and we were completely blown away by how much they were able to unpack on slow fashion, financial equity and capitalism in such a short space of time. We've decided to bring this conversation to our re envisioned business listeners, as we know many of you will enjoy it. Huda Khatabi is an Iranian-American writer, a Bolognese organizer, and creative educator. Her work has been hailed from the BBC to the New York Times to the pages of Vogue, and featured and cited in books, journals, and museums around the world. Huda is the host of Because We've Read, a radical digital book club and discussion series mobilizing local communities with 25 plus chapters globally founding member of gluten production, an apparel manufacturing workers cooperative run by working class women of color setting new international standards in labor and sustainability within fashion supply chains among many other hats Georgina Wilson Powell is a passionate journalist and magazine editor who is using her 16 years in the media industry for global change. She founded Pebble Magazine, a stylish portal for sustainable living advice and positive stories that help inspire people to change the world. This event was pre-pandemic, when live events was a very normal thing, and looking back I feel immensely grateful for having the opportunity to platform this incredibly rich conversation. We apologize for the audio quality. It is different to our previous episodes. This was a video recording converted into an audio podcast episode. But I assure you, the quality of the conversation is totally worth it. And a huge thank you to Maria Loia for capturing this day and conversation. A special thank you to Emerald Network and our sponsors that made this event possible. Enjoy this conversation.
2: into it because I'm sure we can spin off in lots of different directions um, as we we're both so passionate about talking about fashion and difficult fashion and problems in fashion. Um, but just before we get started, I want to say what an honour it is to have you in the UK and it's mm-hmm. a really honour to have you in this evening with all of us and um, I think everyone's super excited to have
0: Thank you so much. Thank you so much, um, uh, for having me and for all of the sponsors of tonight's event. I'm so grateful to be in this like wonderfully diverse city. It's so gorgeous. Um, I've been working on my British accent, so if at any point in time my American accent I just can't understand it, let me know i not such a over to you. Yeah. Um before we do starting
2: yeah. to discussion, Russian and lots of those. Um, you describe yourself, as we heard, sort of a capitalist, angry daughter of mm-hmm. the immigrants. What, what makes you angry? Let's tell just <laughs> a little bit about you. What's, what's your story? How did you
0: get into fashion? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I identify as angry, like very proudly. Uh, I think anyone who was born and raised in Oklahoma would probably feel the same way. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Oklahoma is right above Texas, but just as racist. <laughs> um, and so, for me, growing up in a state and, and suburb that was wildly like white, wildly, wildly racist, homogeneously conservative, um, and being the only one who wore a hijab growing up, like people didn't actually know what I was, let alone like be racist. So the longest time, they thought I was a witch. Um, yeah, it was, it was wild. Um, and then once like people started becoming slowly politically aware, they realized that I was Muslim, and it became the fill-in for every single Muslim identity in the Middle East that was trending. So I was Palestinian, I was Afghan, I was um, you know Iraqi. I was everything that was sort of making headlines during that time. Um, and the more you sort of get called this or that, or like why did you do 9/11? Um, things that I've shared, half the people in this room have heard themselves too. You just start to learn and like, read, and the more that you read, the more angry that you get, naturally. Um, and I think if all of us have not a little bit of anger, then I think that we may not know what's happening in <laughs> the world. So I think anger is, um, it definitely drives a lot of what I do. I think it's justified. It. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> lots of the way. yeah. Definitely. definitely. Um, so there's lots of sort of
2: um, passion, let's say, for the changing world. And for getting started and how did you sort of end up in the fashion sphere because I'm gathering that you sort of wide interest,
0: you could gone in different directions. Possibly, um, my parents might have been more happy but um, yeah I think for me fashion was something that I could care less about until I realized from a political perspective how radically like powerful it really is. So when I moved to Chicago um, in 2012 and started to reflect on my experiences growing up in Oklahoma and realizing that it wasn't normal to be called a terrorist going grocery shopping. Like That was just like wild to me. I was like, wow, like yeah. I don't get flipped off taking the bus. It's like such a wild country. Um, and for me, I, I was reflecting a lot of those experiences and I realized that fashion was really, coming I mean, along with race obviously, um, really sort of like a, a guiding factor in the way that people reacted towards me. So, if I wore a scarf around my neck, I probably would have gotten punched in the face, you know. And so um, thinking about fashion as a mode of a very powerful communication that really conveys a lot of um, what, we, what we do and the way that we act but the way that people also react to us. Um, and sort of that being my framework of starting to get into fashion um, and realizing that I could have conversations about politics using fashion as almost like a guise to do so. So when I first started um, my publication, uh, Juju Azad, I I actually I was my goal was to like educate white people. Um they're changed now. <laughs> um, but I, I thought that, you know, if I posted like a picture of myself from like the waist down on like what I thought would attract white people, i.e. Like Pinterest, um, I would post it there and then people would click through and I'd be like, hey, we're not all terrorists, surprise, my job. Um <laughs> uh, so uh, for me that was sort of like my in on like getting bringing politics into spaces that weren't there. And Teen Vogue, before they were woke, um, they also reached out to me. They're like, hey, you know, like, there's not many for in fashion. You know, we can like, we can post your photos on our website, but we don't want any of your politics. So I'd send them an outfit post, but then Andre, when they asked me to describe, i uh, they're we like, describe your outfit. And I was like, five reasons why Israel's in a time state. And, then, <laughs> and they published it, because no one reads where you get your jeans from, no one cares. Uh, so for the longest time, t Book had five reasons why Israel's is a part state under my cute little outfit, um, posing around. And so- We're <laughs> The outfit, I didn't remember what I was wearing. It was something dumb. But like, the point was like, I could use this mode of communication and in a way allow myself to be tokenized sometimes if I can make sure that my voice is going to be there in the ways that I want it. So I learned fashion can be powerful in order to have conversations that people might not be ready for.
2: and I think you will, it almost going back to a very old um, view of fashion rather than being a trendy-led, consumer-led um, cool. ideal. It's not all about who you are and presenting an ideal and challenging the stereotypes and challenging, mm-hmm. uh, you know, large cultural issues. And I think you talk about um, on your on your publication how you should think about what's next to your skin because it's next to your skin all day, every day. So what yeah. is it that you want to wear? And I think it's, there's not many people putting that political, um, very out there not on on fashion, and on, especially on
0: blogs and Instagram as well. If not, that really makes you, know, you stand out. Thank you. But yeah, I, I do think that fashion is very inherently political as well. So beyond just being able to convey, you know, like class, for example, um, on the way that you're dressing, I think fashion is a form of art and all art is political. Like Anybody who says they're doing apolitical art is like bullshit right? and they don't know what they're talking about because you're either using this powerful mode of communication as a way to challenge the status quo, make people think differently, ask, make people think um, and ask questions about social issues, or you're not and you're silent and silence is complacency. So you can sit and like, paint flowers all day, but that's still political because that's a conversation about your privilege of being able to do so. And so fashion is also a form of art. Uh, I do think that capitalism has sort of like, tucking the art out of it and just turning it into this mindless commodity. But um, on top of just like the ability of us to convey messages like on our clothing, um, fashion also, as you mentioned, uh, that I wrote about on Juju Azad, there's nothing else that really touches your skin as much as fashion does. Like, what does that mean for us, especially as Muslims, like, on a spiritual level, that the thing that is touching your skin the most, literally rubbing off on you, is made as a product of violence? Hijabs, for example, if they're, like, a religious item, how can we say that our hijabs are made in sweatshops at the expense of, like, Muslim women? So, I think these are questions that we should be asking ourselves, and even production and consumption. Um, the fact that the majority of our clothes are made in Bangladesh and Southeast Asia, but the majority of the consumers are here in the West. So what does that say about imperialism? What does that say about power dynamics? And so there's so much that can really become like unwound when we start talking about fashion um, in what I think is like a feminist way. And not like white Hillary Hillary Clinton feminist, um, but like legitimately like intersectionally feminist. Um, The idea that the fashion industry has historically been dominated by women. Both as consumers and producers, women have always dominated the fashion industry. But if I say, like, but we always view it as like silly and shallow and vain um, because it's women's work. But if I say like my older brother is a car designer, like everyone's like, oh, so cool, it's intellectual. But like, he's read one book in his life since kindergarten. This is the But like. So it's and and so we have this idea that it's like so intellectual or like architecture is so intellectual, but like when it comes to fashion design, oh, they're just into fashion. They're like dumb, you know. And so there's this disconnect when it comes to women's work. that We don't value it in the way that it should be. Um, and so being able to understand that a shirt and it costs five dollars, five pounds, um, is problematic because we're devaluing the women's labor that's going into making that five pounds. And Do you think? Um for
2: so too long, as well, on the consumer side, that people haven't thought about where the clothes come from and where they end up past the bin. There seems to be a kind of unique. They, they just go, go out of shops them. and then we're them They go into
0: a bin or a character shop. And or people stuff. think that machines still make clothing. Guys, people make your clothes. <laughs> Every single piece of clothes has gone through like millions or not millions, like many hands to be able to have been produced. But like I don't I don't understand why people still think that it's like a machine that just like comes in, comes out, like somehow the cotton is harvested produce pig, turned into a shirt, sent out all by a machine, and like and it still makes sense that it costs five pounds. I think
2: that there's a lot we the, the, um, we talk a lot on the Sonic how fashion is so following the food cycle. So, so you have the sweet sort of food movement, the organic food movement, a lot changed change, and fashion slow sort of so following that up. And I think it's it goes back to a lot of people thinking that the food is just manufactured, but they don't think that where that comes from. And I the like people Food. And I think, you know, up until the last few years, people have thought about the fact that it's cotton, it's natural fibers, It's being picked, it's being made by people, probably hugely yeah. uh, in, in horrible conditions. Mm-hmm. I think there is a lot more conversation happening, yours is one of them, you know, that, that gets people to think about the entire life cycle, rather than just what you've use in the shop. Um, Do you say it's sort of, it's more
0: empowering, more
2: positive sort of conversations that are happening over the last few years?
0: I love keeping the term empowering, but, um, <laughs> But I, I do think that there is a shift right now within the fashion industry. Like everyone wants to be ethical um, and there's obviously pros and cons to that. I think that right now, especially after the election of Trump, who's our leader in the United States, um, there is this sort of normalization or like push toward activism. Like everyone wants to be an activist and there's a lot of pros to that. Like I think that now you can say that if you protest, you're not seen as like this like cliche, like random person, who like just protests, but like, Everyone's now protested at some point in their lives, which is great. But on, and brands especially too, like a lot of brands are trying to be like ethical and trying to like head in like, oh, like we have a sustainable collection, like Zara, H&M, like all of these fast fashion brands. But it also just really lowers the bar and simplifies the conversation. Um, Holding a sign in the street doesn't make you an activist. And like, I think that we have to think about community organizing and like systemic changes that um, I, I think people not, aren't necessarily ready for that conversation. So I do feel like a lot of brands, um, Nike, for example, endorsing Kaepernick. Um, I think everyone knows, okay. Yeah, you guys know what's happening in the United States. You don't know what's happening here. Um, <laughs> Nike endorsing Kaepernick, for example, was like this huge thing that audience was like, oh my gosh, yay, not care about race. But Nike's still being produced in sweatshops and all of those clothes are still being produced in sweatshops. Nike is also is the official team of the NFL or the official like, jersey. So how are they funding, like, both sides of the war, essentially? Um, back, so <laughs> I don't think that counts, though. So I think that there's, like, a push toward ethics that now people just want to see a face. They want to see a good job and feel like, oh, yeah, they support Muslims, check. But, like, if you actually look deeper, it's, it's, it's very problematic, I think, because we're not allowing ourselves to look at things beyond what they're being essentialized as. I and being able to like look at i think the larger picture so it's not just about like buying this or that it's more like what am i doing like as an individual uh, to change the way that i like exist in this world um that can like maybe make it better for like people who like don't have access to like the privileges that i do here definitely and you touched on going by this a little bit again that do
2: you have you seen sure. a certain
0: improvement in what in the lives of about workers since you started understanding or stopped? No, <laughs> if anything, I think a lot of it has gotten worse because, um, like, fast fashion is only accelerating, and the thing about capitalism is like I feel like it's going to kill itself. We sure um, should <laughs> <laughs> because uh, at the end of the day you are only like you're just exhausting a larger and larger population of people and so capitalism is going to be the death of itself and what's happening right now in the fashion industry is that people are just buying more and more and these brands are doing really great at now like like advertising to me like i've never felt like seen by a brand before and now i have like ads for Nike all the time and so it's weird to be like targeted by an ad by a brand that like you felt like never knew you existed which kind of preferred it that way um so i do think that there's this a huge rise in fast fashion production, which then creates an even larger burden for garment workers. Um, I've interviewed, or like my honor, of interviewing a lot of garment workers across Southeast Asia, and uh, according to their experiences, like things so have just gotten worse because what, like what the conditions look like, is all based on demand. And when there's there's these impossible standards that are placed on garment workers that are intentional for them not to be able to meet. And when you know that you can't meet that goal, you get to then insert violence in order to make these like garment workers work faster um, and reach speeds that are like actually in, like humanly impossible. Um, and the more production that is now required, the more pressure there is, and the more violence that's just escalating in garment factories. So where does this go before it gets how um, how how bad? How <laughs> how it get to low Love to you though. Yeah. Um, where does it go before it gets better? It needs to get better anyway, I don't know. What's yeah, your question. I mean it's what can we I mean
2: your sense is increasing and increasing and increasing. Mm-hmm. What can brands do, what can
0: consumers do to uh, stop kind <laughs> of onslaught? <sport>? I think um, I think a lot of things. I think um, again kind of going back to um, community organizing uh, and trying to understand that there's like a reason why you probably haven't heard any voices from garment workers. Uh, there is actually a quote by Ardenti Roy that I love, and she says, There's no such thing as the voiceless, there's only the systematically silenced, and the preferably unheard. And there's never been a more like factual quote to describe garment workers. Um, like For example, I myself wrote a piece interviewing many garment workers who are working in H&M's sustainable collection factories, GAP, and submitted it to Team Vogue and they at first said yes and after they read the piece, uh, they said they're not legally allowed to publish that piece. So a lot of like uh, Condé Nast brands, a lot of just like fashion publications have actual contracts with H&M Gap, a lot of these corporations that don't allow garment workers' voices to legitimately be published. So, um, and I think that's the way with a lot of people. So like, and there's a reason why these voices shouldn't or like cannot, be present in a lot of Western spaces, um, survivors of drone, for example, people in Afghanistan, in Iraq, and Yemen. Um, so thank you for being here. Uh, and so I do think that there's a reason why we can't hear your, a lot of the times their voices. It's not because they're voiceless, it's because their very realities would shatter the very fundamentals of what this country says that it's built on, or what they're saying they're trying to spread to the Middle East. Um, and so I think that it's, it's really important that we understand that as consumers and as just individuals living in this empire, um, and are able to, like, with that then, like, use it, right? right? So it, beyond just, like, like shopping, because I, I don't think that you can buy the revolution, I don't think that you can ever, like, buy a right choice, <laughs> um, I do think that it is, you have to take a step back and kind of view the picture as, a, like, a, this global issue that we need to be addressing.
2: Thing, I think, um, touching me also with media clients, one of the reasons I said I've had months ago was I was trying to pick exactly the same stories that, that you're talking about to t and got stonewalled completely mm-hmm. again and again and again. And it was like, hang hey, on a minute, why aren't we picking up these stories? And I wanted to run a magazine where the only uh, brands that we love commercially were brands that were, you know, fit for purpose and, you know, B corpse and, and sort of satisfyingly mm-hmm. down the line. And it means that we can actually run the stories that we feel passionate about and not we'll have to think, oh. I'm we yeah, are tied by a commercial, commercial avenue, and I think that is the difference between mainstream media and a lot of the publications that we're talking about above. Mm-hmm. Is they don't want to show this, this other side of consumerism; they want it to be, "Oh, you want say sustainable? Oh, we can buy a sustainable collection. Here you go," yeah. um, and not look at the complex issues. And I think it's 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 really interesting, really really how. To would um, really inspiring <laughs> to see so many people here as well, and, and for lots of talks that we do, you know, turning up to, to learn more, and understand more, so that they can make better choices and support better brands. So I think there is a shift that everybody here is, is a part of. Um, do you sort of, looking at sort of brands that are sort of for purpose and are trying to do good? Is there some? Is there a sort of um, checklist in your head or? something that you feel where you can go, okay, they're trying, they're trying to do the right thing. They are succeeding at what they're trying to do. Or do you find very few companies like that? Um,
0: I think there are very few companies like that. I do think that, because, uh, I mean, I, I think there's like a standard, like would I buy from a brand? Sure. But would I like work with them, for example? I think that's a different like line. Um, I do think that...
1: Like going back to that issue of like
0: race, for example, in the ethical fashion world, I do think that a lot of ethical fashion, because it's so inaccessible, is really run by white women. And so being able to find sustainable brands run by like black women, women of color, is like difficult, but like even more important to like only work with certain brands. Um, So I think, yeah, I, I think, you have to have high standards to some extent, um, but also doesn't have to be like dumb high. Like it can just be like, government workers aren't treated like ish, you know, and that can be a standard that you have. And I think everyone needs to make that decision for themselves.
2: Have you seen a, a particular country that treats government workers better than the say other countries, or is it not on a sort of natural scale that's very much I
0: think it's uh, an industry issue. So I think anywhere that fast fashion is happening, then the government workers aren't treated right. Cause it's like, again, there's no way to, to do that. Um, I think it obviously government workers across um, like, countries of color, so across Africa and across the Middle East and Southeast Asia, are treated particularly bad because um, violence has seemed very normalized and like, like it, there's just like a lack of like care for like the well-being of people there, and they're just so far removed and so far like otherwise that people here don't even care that they don't know where their clothes comes from. Yeah,
3: we've
2: got a I mean,
0: obviously it's London Fashion Week this uh, week, a really big buzz.
2: There is a lot of sustainable fashion. Catalogs uh, happening, it shows happening. It's sort of one of the, the, the terms being bandied about well, more than ever. But also, announced today, with, um, some the environmental action, Committee, one of the government want to put one key one percent tax on of fast fashion. Do you think of the whole ethical fashion is, is, especially in our fashion, is it a luxury niche that we're never going to get breaking into the mainstream, or do you think? there's ever a way for fast fashion and fast fashion for me and for for the for the right food um
0: i don't think fast fashion i think so i'm an abolitionist which means that i think that there are certain industries that can only be reformed so far until they just hit a wall and you realize that they just have to like completely like disappear so i think slavery is always a really exact like easy example like there's no way that you can reform slavery to make it better it needs to like get abolished altogether and i think that there's a lot of industries that we take for granted in the west that should be abolished uh, i think fast fashion is one of them there's no way that you can reform an industry that is built on and requires violence in order to function you can't reform that um, you can reform it to make it less violent, but it's still violent. Um, so I don't think that fast fashion can ever get reformed into like something that's ethical. I do think that there are many ways that we can make. Um, like I, I, I also, I think people also have this idea that like ethical fashion is like hundreds of pounds or like hundreds of dollars, but it, it doesn't have to be. And there's a lot that is like more accessibly. Um, of course, that's like a, a privileged comment and people have. Um, Can understand that in different ways, but I I do think that we we do understand ethical fashion to be a lot more expensive than it tends to be. But on top of that, like we invest in so many things, and why can't one of them be fashion? Um, If we really understand like the lifespan of what it takes for a shirt to be made, um, or for anything to be made from like the harvesting of raw materials to the processing, transporting, um, producing, transporting again, like selling, and all of those people make, you know then there is no way that that can be cheap. And if it is, then there is violence that happening. So I think that I, it just goes back again, like we should just be investing in clothes like we invest in other things. It's in a way,
2: it's like buying cheap coffee and so pouring it down bread, the drain, and then
0: when you get
2: it, you know, you buy something. Yeah. <laughs> you can buy something cheap and you don't look after it. Um, there's a lot of hashtags around 30 months and sort of talking about you know, buying something, trying to think about how you might wear it to get the true value. Um, and also, sort from of like an environmental point of view, wearing something that keeps going for a lung and 30% well of so carbon and water footprint. So, on that side of things, keeping me is a lot better. Yeah. Um, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like a lot of this, so we're sort of repeating ourselves a lot of the time on okay, what people can do. What do you think, what would it take to get a really big shift? And, and sort of getting people more active, more, more politically active, more conscious
0: about their shopping. I'm <laughs> 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 okay, um, kidding. Not really. I think that I. I think that again. I think it goes back to community organizing. Um, I think that a lot of us have this like the idea that we can buy ethical and therefore save the world, or like buy ethical and like save a refugee, but. That's a very flawed, like privileged, like white supremacist, like, and whatever thinking. Um, and I think that we need to be thinking about things structurally and, like, like, like thinking of them within a context, right? So again, going back to like actually to the military police prisons. Like, if we can understand, and, like, take a step back and look at how everything's related, then I think we can also think about ways that we can, like, pinpoint um, ways of, of, like. Attack. <laughs> I'm challenging it. The prevention is very strong here, so I have to like
3: right.
2: <laughs> I mean, there are some people who are taking that community organization in different industries and, and having great effects. So, like Occupy Wall Street a few years ago, or looking at sort of the climate um, challenges, the guys, the martial arts against gun violence. They're used to at those kind of um, mass
0: actions and seeing how we can relate them to fashion um yeah i think they are related to fashion um i think they're related to like everything um so yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
4: any questions from the audience but i would love to start the q a session with a question of my own. Um, so a lot of the bigger brands
1: um, are known to launch conscious lines and often it can be seen as a greenwashing employee mm-hmm. so what are your thoughts on genuine ways that these corporates can get involved
4: in making um, making a difference and also getting small organizations involved in their work
0: yeah um i don't think that corporations are going to be leading any social change um, i think that a lot of corporations intend on having a great public image that makes people feel like they're doing good but it's usually just to counteract all of the years of destructive work that they might have been doing, so um, I think, for example, like Nike, H H&M, um, and <laughs> people that are using, for example, the image of like a Muslim model uh, to like say that you support Muslims, whereas your God workers, for your exploiting, are Muslim women, or corporations that are sort of um, also focused on a capitalistic understanding of values so and just like building profit and building money without. <laughs> and just wanted to donate some of that. I don't think that that necessarily is like where community building happens, and that's, I think, what's most important for me. Uh, so, yeah, I think that, I think corporations aren't to do good relationship, but I do think that we should be holding them accountable. Um, we should be holding a lot of people accountable who are trying to say that they're supporting a community, that they may just be up-to-service to the supporting community. Uh, so I think it's our responsibility to be able to like think deeper and more complex about like what it means to see like um, like a Nike Pro job or like images that are brands that are trying to cater to us in the attempt that they're supporting us when it's all just like uh, corporate. A little bit further back, yes.
2: Great, um, thank you so much. Is there any questions? <laughs>
5: side. we've got another microphone
2: coming
5: around that side. So. Hi, I'm on TikTok. Any questions? So you mentioned the
4: challenges with machines. But why not? Like now, like in the future, so like now we can really get things like kidney that can go in the you human know, body, or furniture uh, that can be
2: just made by something can something like that be made applied to the fashion world, can people just design
0: Just a question. Um, I think I, I think fashion innovation right now is like wild. There's a lot of amazing things that are happening in terms of like technological advancements in the fashion industry. But I do think that at the end of the day, it is there are some parts of fashion that would be. I mean, God knows. You know, like maybe we'll get to a day when like robots well, all of us.
1: But like before we get to that point, I think
0: that that there's so much to get there, and the complexity of making maybe like a simple T-shirt can be possibly machine-made in the future. But something that like is like actual like designed, conceptually put together, um, requires a lot of art and like conceptualization to create. I don't think that machines could. Have, I mean, you can have a machine paint a painting, but that, that's not the same, you know. I think that fashion if we're able to look at it as an art form um, is. Is really complex, especially the construction of that, and that's also something that I think a lot of people maybe haven't understood, like how complicated it is to create even a shirt So, um, God knows where we'll be in ten years. Uh, especially you guys are having Brexit, so, like I don't know that. Uh, <laughs> Who expected that, right? Maybe we'll have to make clothes. I don't think it would be anywhere in like the immediate future. I probably will die before that happens.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Hi, thank you so much. Um, there's a lot of talk around the creation of uh, fashion, and um, there's not as much talk around the cyclical um, journey of fashion like what happens afterwards. and I think the view of charity is quite supremacist, and the view that I think are close to charity is going to go to some. In India or in Africa, the city of uh, literally it's craziness. Um, And I wonder what your view is on how we dispose of broken fashion as well as fashion
0: that is still wearable but
3: not something that people want to wear.
0: That's a really good question. Um, I do think that people think that Goodwill is like a trash can. You guys have been doing it? Yeah. Oh, charity shop. shop. Charity shop. Yeah. We have uh, lots of <laughs> Part of like the trash can of your clothes, which is, um, again, as you mentioned, like wildly problematic. Even a lot of clothes, like the majority of clothes that are donated to like, thrift stores or like um, charity shops, charity shops, <laughs> uh, are actually then flooding a lot of South African markets. So a lot of South African fashion industry is actually dying because of this overflow of like, really bad American design and UK like, okay, design. Um, and I, I mean I think that that's a great question I think I, I wish that like fashion innovation has brought us to a point where like our clothes could like compost or something when it's finished but we're not at a place right now where um, clothing can actually be recycled so Zara and H&M said that they have recycling programs probably less than 1% of all of that actually gets recycled because it's recyclable um, unfortunately <coughs> it's just not it's, if you want to jump into this, that's they say, it,
2: right? one, of the, one of the things that's come out today is they're talking about putting a one-pence tax on the fast fashion, which would then go into recycling programs. But the problem is a lot of the materials that they use to make this fast fashion they can't be recycled because they're just so crap um, and they're so many the chemicals that they don't biodegrade the and you can't recycle them. So there is a massive problem at the other end of this fast fashion, where we're just clogging up landfills with more <coughs> more cheap T-shirts. Um, so I think part of the sort of missing for me, the bit class makes is this overconsumption problem because we've got to tackle that, and we've got to tackle what happens at the end of it. And there are amazing people working on biodegradable clothes, biodegradable fabrics, and mushroom leather, and kinetics and algae, and all sorts of different things. But right this minute, we need to just stop buying that cheap stuff because um, so we've got nowhere to put it. Um, you know, once it goes through your wardrobe, to your bin, or to a thrift store, or to a charity shop, where does it go next? So I think that is. The just a comment on that then is is um, just basically what are your people like Patagonia who are preparing those and taking who say anything that you've got or or you wear and that's will send back to us and using we're using is that I think know? that's brilliant. Um, I think you know, I think if more brands did that then perhaps they could, you know, recycle the fibres and there are there's a lot of underwear brands that are using recycled fibres so they'll <laughs> get and tie it back into socks. For example, um, so that that is one and I think more people need to do it. But if they actually
0: do that, because like again, like H and M and Zara, they say and you can also—they always have bits to the front. Like donate your clothes, like we'll recycle it. But <coughs> it, it is the fact of the nature that unfortunately the threads that are clothes are made out of aren't simply recyclable. The majority of them, so they might be recycling one percent of like what you're thinking
1: back to them. And Patagonia is just a very rare example as well. They—they so they do are—they are following through what they're saying, but even they claim that they're not wholly at the point they are claim to be because supply chains are so complex, and it's hard to ensure there's ethics and integrity throughout that chain. So, yeah, there's there's not many examples around right now. Thank you
4: so much for sharing all these insightful sure I feel like we learned so much today, um, and I do agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, <laughs> so, um, in, in terms of like political immigrant uh, like growing um, up um, as a child immigrants, and I feel like especially within our community, we can have those conversations, it's easy to do, but um, these conversations about ethicality, about sustainability, often happen in equity And a lot of these conversations aren't happening with our parents. And just this idea of cheap fashion. Um, it doesn't people in other countries, kind of but it's a consequence of having to, or what, you're able to you're, uh, what you're able to afford. So a lot of our parents chose the cheapest option because that's what their lifestyle required. Right? And then even then, there's this, like you say, there's, there's a system of this specific nature of poverty. And even a lot of us are falling into it because it obviously, like we say, you know, when it comes to education, when it comes to certain job types. There are so many ways in which we have to overcome. And so even like, whenever me and my friends have a conversation about it always comes back down to white women. And, and, and it's difficult. Because we're, even if you're even if talking about black women or South Asian women in this type conversation, how do they get to, to these platforms? Because you have to have a certain start. You need to have a certain type of fund. And it's not accessible for everyone. So where do we start as a community? And like you said, how do you make that community project?
0: hundred percent. That was not a at all. That was a wonderful question. Thank you. Um everyone hear that? Yeah. Okay. Uh yeah, and I think so that's that's kind of why I I push against the notion that like we can buy the revolution or we can buy our way into changing because that's just inaccessible. And oftentimes it's like the same communities who are like subject to the violence of fast fashion are also like forced in a way to like purchase from it. Uh, so I, I totally hear you, so thank you for noting that. Um I think that the the conversation is less like us telling our parents to stop shopping, <laughs> um, than it is going back into like talking about all like, right what's happening back at home, um, and like why does that exist in the way that it does. Uh, I was actually just talking to somebody from Bangladesh the other day. I'm staying in Whitechapel, so like I'm in basically Bangladesh, um, and, uh, and we were talking about how right now there's like also a push in Bangladesh that people are also buying fast fashion. And the fast fashion that are produced in that factories are even becoming so cheap that it's cheaper than the local like tailors and that is in Bangladesh, which is wild. Um, so how can like a Western brand all the way across the world produce clothes that are cheaper than what your own people are producing? Um, so this is not just like also a problem of like the Western world. Like we are unfortunately like living in a, a world that is pushing everything toward capitalism and everything toward like cheap commodification. So it's up to us to be able to like have those conversations in communities that are directly affected. Um, so I'm sure many people may, like, have relatives or friends who are involved in some way, maybe in fast fashion, back at home, being able to, like, have conversations with them and like, listen to them uplift their voices. I think that there's so much that of responsibility in this room by virtue of who we are, um, not only from an Islamic perspective, but also from our identity perspective, um, that I think the conversation exactly, as you said, should be starting in our communities about, like, the larger system, so not about like what should we buy, like that's ethical, but like how can we change the system, like get these corporations. Question, I guess. to ask all the
2: speakers really, because this is all about learning, I guess. Um, what would you say, like whether it's a YouTube video, whether it's a book or something? What would you say? You read and
1: you thought, wow. You've and you thought, wow. This has made really rework. This has taught me something. Um, and secondly, that i remember more more your British accent.
2: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
0: I heard a lot of Harry Potter growing up. Yes. <laughs> it's a little bit of the line, but...
2: Are you speaking... Um, sorry, I just got a completely strike. <laughs> 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 sorry, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> <Looking> <laughs>
3: back, what have <do> you <laughs> read
2: there as oh. um, well? It was actually... I'm um, a big fan of wired magazine, which is really geeky and mostly about engineering, but I loved a lot of the crazy... Um, inventions that I pick up every month, and I don't understand, maybe about it, but, um, a of it, um, anything to do with AI, I kind of lost the plot, a bit. Um, <laughs> but, um, but it just made me, it only not actually apply the way before I got into ethical fashion, the way before I started trouble, just the, the solutions that are out there, and the people really pushing for those solutions, and how mm-hmm. everything kind of fits together and impacts each other, um, yeah. and I just thought, wow, there's always crazy people doing this amazing stuff, and it's kind of tucked away in a boring men's magazine, but not doing <laughs> <technical. laughs> nothing. Um, I just thought, you know what, we need to be telling these stories, and for me it's about telling stories that's how we make positive change, and I thought we need to have a more consumer slant on this, we need to take those kind of really geeky adventures out and showcase people, show people what we can do and give them that inspiration, so for me it's a bit left field. Um, but there are so many amazing blogs and books out at the moment, especially around sort of um, ethical fashion and, and the fashion problem, um, which I'm sure you are picking up on your
0: book. Um, international book groups and things like that. What are you sort of suggesting? Uh, yeah, so we have something called Because We Read <laughs> uh, at, Because We have Read fashion um so it's a, a radical international book club we have a chapter right here in london um uh, which is like fabulous and amazing they're always at Richmond mix um and so basically to answer your question everything that we've read so far i also agree that i never really read anything about like fashion per se i think for me it, it kind of again goes back to like community organizing so like asada shakur's autobiography is, was like very transformational for me um asada shakur is like former Black Panther, currently in exile in Cuba, was like a million-dollar life reward on her head by the FBI uh, for supposedly uh, or being accused of killing a cop, but she was like a very outspoken radical voice uh, for systemic change, and her words have like, completely transformed the ways that I think about the world. And I think texts like that, Orientalism, Intellectual Correction Bay, um Ardenti Roy who we're reading right now, Ardente Roy is actually joining us on YouTube live um, next week, this weekend. The twenty something. Um uh, so yeah, I think having conversations locally about like I think radical community organizing text of, like fabulous people. Did uh, you have yeah. tough question? To be I I think I got more experiences,
6: a little bit. Experiences. And that's actually negative experiences that probably hurt the most. So what comes to mind that remained remains in my mind for a very long time, and, and I use as fuel, is see two children who were um, an eight-year-old boy and six-year-old girl simply, uh, and who were burnt as the result of an air strike, right? and um, suddenly getting used to that. What made that particularly powerful was the fact that his younger sister was consoling the older brother, and I think seeing that and realizing that the the, the Lack of you know, sovereignty and power that, that, that the Anglo had, and then despite that, she trying to comfort her old brother. And contrasting it, contrasting it against the privilege that I have, and the ability that I have to actually do something and that, that was burnt into the of my life.
3: That's
6: part of the <laughs> <laughs>
5: Sorry, um, so with coffee and with fashion, there are these kind of um, raw ingredients, raw materials that maybe conceivably could be owned by somebody who is not a corporation, like um, the Subai family, or, um, or for example, somebody who owns some small coffee, um, cotton or hemp plantation, right? But what about um, things that rely on raw materials that are not in the hands of um, ordinary people, they're in the hands of kleptocratic governments or, um, or big corporations, things like um, petrochemicals or um, the kind of uh, metal that you need for high tech stuff. So, you know, is it really possible to have an ethical um, energy industry other than the renewable sector? Is it possible to have ethical, high tech mobile phones, tablets? And if so, do you know anybody who's doing it successfully?
2: Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> I know a phone company, Fairphone, are meant to be um, amazing at sort of providing an ethical supply chain for all their like their, their sort of precious metals inside the phone. But that's I haven't done anything with it directly. But I think it is a. It's a very complex issue. I mean, it's just everything that you touch, everything that you own, everything that you buy, has an arguably
6: very dubious supply chain at the moment. I think it's particularly difficult with things that have a fundamental relationship with central governments, like you touched upon, out of gas. Uh, if you have if you have things that are decentralised, like small scale, small scale operations, renewable energy, you can control that because that is in the hands of the people. When you have t- large things that are connected to the government, it's very hard to do that, and really it relies upon the uh, corruption or lack thereof of the government itself. In other words, it, you have to rely on you know the, the state being trustworthy. Uh, it depends on what your political views and stuff. So I, I think it's very hard to do, and that was a problem with all you of yeah. that. Like like Absolutely. <laughs>
0: Great question, yes, just to uh, Not to get like super theoretical, but like I don't think technically there is no such thing as an ethical business within a capitalist world. Um, and I say that because at the end of the day, if you're not challenging the very fundamentals of capitalism, um, then you're complicit in it and almost in a way enabling it. And capitalism at its root is violent there's no way that capitalism can be conscious. <laughs> um, and I've written about that a little bit too, that I, I think, me, I think conscious capitalism is a myth um, because I think that you're either um, kind of relying on existing structures of oppression to create a product that maybe elevates and lessens violence a little bit, but as long as that violence is still there, it's not ethical. And again, I think that that maybe that's, it's a personal decision on like what you define as ethical. Um, from like my own Islamic understanding, like it's my personal obligation to be fighting systems of injustice, um, in order, regardless of like who it is against or for, as the great quote goes. Um, so I think that as long as capitalism exists and, is violent and always will be. Um, I can't, in my
6: right mind, feel that I'm doing something that's like wholly ethical. I
0: think mm-hmm. Can I add something to that? Yes. Because I just spoke about current capitalism. I know. I'm to here. I think it's a fair
6: point. I think it goes back to your definition of capitalism. Yeah. For me, capitalism is free markets and free people. So capitalism to me is freedom. It is, you know, the choice to do what you want as a person to buy what you want, and that is what I refer to as capitalism. I think there's something else.
0: There. Yeah, I don't know if I would call that capitalism though. Because Maybe, I, oh, I, I, I think that <laughs> <more difficult>, but, <laughs> but also I think even if there are free markets and free people, that still exists within systems of violence and structures that are violent. So for example, like sure there is like a free market in a sense in the United States, but the fact of the matter is you only get wealthy if you have money, and that's a product of capitalism. Uh, and I don't want to, cause this could, I, this could be through, like, <laughs> yeah, a conversation no, that I don't want no, anyone to no. learn right now, but we can maybe talk afterward. <laughs> 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 yeah, I think it yes, shows, yeah. Yeah, think yeah. it
2: shows that the, the level of complexity for, for every single question, for every single industry, for every single
0: you know like definition of the word access and I don't want like, to feel like I'm dumbing yeah. things out, like that's not, but I, I do think that like, that can be a whole other 40 minutes. And if people want to have that conversation, let's have it. But I think everyone needs to have it. <laughs> because <laughs> a lot of people like,
2: how can the advise be better? What happened in one the better company. This just shows the level of complexity that we have to get down to, um, yeah. there are so many different versions of what people um, believe is the right thing to do or the right future or anything else. So
1: It's, it's all good debates. Um, and, and the
6: sensitivity of semantics. Absolutely, right? yeah. yeah.
2: Semantics.
5: And reality is on the ground. Absolutely. Bye, Elliot. I'm Hi. Um, firstly, kudos uh, <laughs> <good laughs> to you and your ideas. I think hopefully the fashion industry and business will go towards a more communitarian, cooperative kind of a way. My question is to do with I whole a lot today about labour exploitation in South East Asia. But capitalism also leads to exploitation of everything, so that includes resources and animals. Um, And that's where I'm coming from. So I think it's such an important point to have in this discussion. Um, More and more, I've seen more and more fashion companies, large ones like Chanel, Versace, Banfer in their work. I'm not sure if it's fully systemic in what they do, um, whether it's just the media ploy. And so, and even the with, week's season's up here at the moment, I see a lot of fur. I see panic abuse all the time, makes me really sick. Like, learning the tube, if someone's standing with the tube. Should campaign. throw up in their coats. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know, like, Peter, they go around in New York, like, ripping it like, off or something, giving people a stick to their teaching about it. Um, and a lot of it, I think, does come down to education. Some people don't know that it's an actual real fur that's probably the reason why this costs like five a six hundred thousand or more. Um, so I thought, what are your thoughts on that and how do you think the fashion industry can deal with that? Okay. I'm,
0: gonna, I'm assuming, so your question was... the exploitation like, of
5: the you whole, know, and specifically animals as well. Yeah,
0: I think that right now, definitely kind of going back to that trend of like, businesses are trying to be ethical, and a lot of that also is within like, fabrics and like, the environmental and sustainability. Um, but what brands love doing is like calling themselves sustainable because they're using sustainable fabrics, which is also we have a the conversation about, but they're still using exploited labor because you can be like sustainable and like commit violence against like garment workers, but that's like also ethical. So I think that people like brands love using the term sustainable, when it like, doesn't really mean that you're like a good brand. Um, I also agree in that like a lot of brands are trying to go in that direction, but it also, as you mentioned, it, it may not be a systemic thing. So I, I also kind of want to push back against the idea that like all fur is bad. Like there's a lot of fur that um, like comes from certain animals that is renewable, right? So you just like shave it off and it's like fine. So I'm not against like every single type of fur. Um, I'm against fur that requires the killing of the animal for nothing but fur. Um, or the idea of like, I, even like the, the conversation about like organic cotton. Um, a lot of people like only want to buy organic cotton, but like a lot of Victoria's Secret organic cotton is actually picked by like child slaves across like mid Africa. Um, and on top of that, organic cotton isn't always the right answer for every community. So, for example, like in areas where there's like a huge water shortage, organic cotton should not like be used. Like organic cotton is actually devastating to Bangladesh right now. It's, it's worse off you see we're getting cotton than regular cotton. So I think I'm also sort of against these like global standards of what perfection and pure like good looks like because every society is different and they have different needs and like where they should be. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah.
5: Yeah, cool. So more like a regulated industry so you know, um, shape and or something and yeah. beyond the means that you need to. So yeah, regulation
0: and classism. Um. In a way, yeah, but I think a lot of, there's like there's like vague standards in the fashion industry. I don't have teeth. Um, a lot of them are just like, we're attempting to be or we strive. We hear these words all the time in fast fashion. Um, so I think it, it also is like, maybe we can have regulations, but like just like countries get away with everything, corporations get away with even more. Uh, so I think it rather than just trying to hold corporations accountable, which we've seen time after time, they find the way to like, pay their way out of it. I think we need to go back to like, systemic change. Thank you. it's so a general
6: question on, and probably more of a point. You talk about not using a lot of systems that are currently in place and that's ideologically probably interesting in right? life and uh, from your perspective. But the question is, is those workers in Bangladesh that, that, that no longer have a job because of our design and I'm talking this same a very, very granular level. Unless there's an industry or something to replace that, that means that very, very unfair wage in itself suddenly disappears, right? So I'm not saying that the system is correct, but until and if we have a clear alternative in terms of the way we operate, more holistic and globally, you have to have a system that operates effectively to meet those needs. So it's really a deep question to what is the alternative for you in your mind, right, that will work? And I appreciate you might not have, have it
3: articulate
6: downstream in two minutes, but you keep alluding to it that capitalism doesn't work, but just try to understand what practically would work as well.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I do think that there's this sort of like
1: misunderstanding
0: in a way about like when you say abolition, it just means destruction and not about building. For me, abolition means a redistribution of wealth in a way and reparations. So when I, for example, talk about the abolition of like, For example, we'll say like prisons in Chicago. That means taking money out of prisons and putting them into community facilities like mental health, um, libraries, schools, and things like that. That would eliminate the need for a prison to begin with. My understanding of fashion is very similar. So I think that if we are able to invest the money um, into communities globally, then the communities can build themselves up without wanting to have another corporation trying to like do social enterprise work.
1: I think at the end of the day, a lot of it has to
0: do with like these corporations maintain this sort of level of poverty and an increased level of poverty based on, yeah, at least they have a job, and that can be an excuse that corporations use. But that's not one that we should be using because we're allowing themselves to be like, yes, like slavery is better than like being dead, you know. For example, um, and sure, maybe some people prefer to be enslaved than dead, and that we can't actually work toward that. Um, so I think what I'm hoping to do with gluten, for example, is, like, with this, um, in an attempt to work with corporations or brands that are right now working with, for example, people in Bangladesh and being like, oh, we're going to now move here. It's not so much as to take their jobs, but it is for them to know that, like, they are not getting this contract because they are not ethical. And people actually want ethical businesses now. Typically, uh, factories lose their jobs because they aren't able to meet the production rates. So factories are always afraid of losing clients and contracts because their workers aren't working fast enough. So if we can shift that from, it's not because your workers aren't working fast enough, it's because you're not ethical and you're not treating them right. That can also cause a shift within the fashion industry as a whole to be like, yo, you got to actually get a living wage now or else we're going to lose a contract. So I think that there's many ways that we can look at that. And this is just one tiny way that we think that we can kind of cause that conversation.
1: We'll be back on the first Wednesday of every month with a new episode. To ensure you don't miss out, please subscribe to Reenvision Business on your favorite podcasting platform, whether that is Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or something else. If you've enjoyed our episode, please leave us a five-star review so that others can learn about ReInvision Business. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter with the handle UpEffect for updates on the next episode. Until next month.